All right, welcome to the conversation. We got an interesting guest for you guys today. Peter Montoya is the author of The Second Civil War. Uh oh, that sounds dangerous. Peter, welcome to the show. Cenk, good seeing you, good to be here. All right, so tell me what this book is about. What do you mean, Second Civil War? Our first civil war was obviously a hot civil war where we had two different armies meeting on battlefields and you know, killed 620,000 Americans. This second civil war is a social civil war or a cold civil war. And it's being waged friend against friend, family member against family member, even employer versus employee or oftentimes business against business. Where people are shaming and shunning one another such that it's actually breaking down the social fabric of our country and hurting our ability to cooperate. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I think the hard part is getting beyond it. Um, so I'm hoping you have some answers there, but I I will warn you that I'm going to come in uh, very skeptical that we can fix it. Uh, but yeah. uh, but but go ahead. Well, how, do you think there's hope for fixing it? Well, let's put it this way. Um, it's really on the individual level. So I was certainly inside the second civil war. I was part and parcel to it until I chose myself out. So when you ask yourself, what is the second civil war about? The first civil war was in, sorry, the first civil war was very, very clear. It was over slavery and federal versus state powers, very clear dividing lines. When you ask yourself, what is the second civil war about? The battlegrounds are not as, as clear. You could say it's about, well, we have two different versions of reality and we're arguing about what reality is. But in large part, it's just each side going, I can't live with the other side. The other side is insane and unreasonable and we can't cooperate and move on. So those clear issues really aren't there. And yes, I know that there are different political issues, political dividing lines and things like that. But really, there's no singular issue like our first civil uh, civil war. So at any point in time, if you feel uh, that we you are in the second civil war, you can choose yourself out. Yes and no. Okay, so on the one hand, uh, I agree with you. I mean, we're fighting over Dr. Seuss books and and transgender folks being able to go to which bathroom that you know and and half the times. Uh, the things that the Republicans passed, literally no one is doing. Like there's in in most of the states that passed mm-hmm. the the laws saying that transgendered folks cannot compete on girls' athletic teams. They couldn't cite a single example of it actually happening in their states and breaking records and all that stuff. The in in Oklahoma they passed anti-Sharia law as if the Muslims were on the verge of taking Tulsa, right? And so so hence I understand what you're saying, but there is, there are people that it, that it affects. That's demagoguery against transgender people, oftentimes against LGBTQ overall. It's demagoguery against Muslims, and let alone the giant ones against immigrants, blacks, and now back to anti-Semitism as well. So if you're in one of those groups, Peter, you gotta, you know, say that's it's harder to quote unquote opt out. So there's, I'll make a distinction here. There's one where you are fighting against the other side, 
And there's a second thing about fighting for what you believe in. And so if you are really believe that half of the country is evil and half the country wants to annihilate you, you really are bought into the second civil war. And you don't have to believe that in order to fight and advocate for the things that you believe in in order to vote for the issues that matter most for you. That's the distinction I would make. Yeah, no, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Okay, I'm keeping it real. Okay, but let's keep going. So yeah. on the lies and truth, that also matters, right? So oh, yeah. yeah, when we say that, okay, let's put it this so way. Tucker Carlson says they're gonna come for you and they're gonna make you drink Starbucks every day if Joe Biden wins. That's yeah. a literal segment that he did. Now, is that true? No, of course it's not true. We don't care what you drink, let alone why would leftists want you to drink from a capitalist company like Starbucks? I mean, it just it's so nonsensical, but it scares people to death. But much more important, that's a funny example. But there's non-funny examples like black people are gonna come to your door because you saw the protests that happened during George Floyd. They're gonna come into the suburbs, they're a real threat to you, etc. Now that is really scary stuff and it, it demagogues against Black folks in this country in a way that is substantial. So when I look at it and I'm in the arena, I cannot let that stand. I can't volunteer out of that, whether I'm black or I'm not black. And and there's things that are true and things that are not true. When we say they might do violence in order to support Trump, well, they did do violence on January 6th to support Trump. So now if anyone on the left gets carried away and starts doing these fantastical ideas about how they're gonna attack you that aren't true, then we would say, hey, wait a minute, that's not true. But, but but two plus two does equal four. They are lying and we're not. I, I, I understand. So the big challenge is, is finding the most effective way to change people's minds. And what I've learned, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some generalities here, by the way, and you, they, they can be nuanced if you say that's not true. But what I've really discovered in the last uh, 10 years is facts don't change people's mind. Arguing with people about what reality is absolutely is a, by and large a non-starter and all it does is add up divisions. So what I've discovered for me personally uh, is the only thing that changes people's minds is relationships. And so the more that we attack the other side, not their ideas, but the other side. The more we make them feel that they are other from us, the greater the dividing lines and the harder it is to actually influence people. And the distinction I'll make once again is I think it's really good to fight for ideas. Fight for ideas all day long, but we have got to stop fighting, attacking other Americans. But again, Peter, and I don't mean to be a downer, and and I you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to bring people together, and I appreciate it. And but um, like I'm I'm even a little worried that our brains are structured differently, right? So it's so, and I talk about this all the time. It's not that right wingers are evil. That's crazy talk. They're 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 humans, right? And I even talk about how they're wonderful to many people. In fact, I was on a trip to Wyoming now, you know, overwhelmingly Republican, and how and I showed my kids, look at how nice folks are, etc. They know that I do commentary on the left, etc. So, but unfortunately for conservatives, and you're right, the facts don't matter because it's emotional and it's it's they're kind of hardwired that way. They view they do have empathy and they are nice to people that are in their community. So whether it's right. their family, right. their church, their neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? 
but they have a very clear circle the wagons mentality. Anyone who is the others is the bad guys, and I don't care what your damn facts say. I don't care about your facts. My, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the others. That's why the talk of dirty immigrants and marauding black Americans works because there's that presses right down on their nerve of fear of the others. Whereas for progressives, we want to expand the circle of liberty. So we have an expansive definition of, of who we are. And we would even include Republicans in that. So we want them to have higher wages. We want them to have better health care. So you see how that mm -hmm. creates a nearly unsolvable problem? Nearly unsolvable. I think you're absolutely right. So I certainly have done enough research, as you have, to understand that how liberal minds versus conservative minds are wired differently. We have high O, which is open to new experiences. I really understand that. So what you're speaking to, I completely agree about and talk about in my book, is that we are highly tribalistic people. And given a choice of choosing something that is in our best interest or choosing something that keeps us in the good graces of our tribe, we will choose the thing that keeps us identified with our tribes. A zebra is more likely to change its stripes than a member of a tribe is, a political tribe is, to change an opinion. <laughs> That's, it's just really hard to do so because in our ancient minds, we believe that going against our tribe equals death. It is hardwired into our very, very ancient brains. So whenever we try to attack them, it makes it worse for us. They pull farther away from us. And here's what I'll tell you is that we cannot change what they do. We can't. All we can do is change what we do. We are the people of personal responsibility. And when we change how we behave toward them and we are more inclusive and we stop arguing with them and stop telling them they're wrong, they will be less likely to put up the barriers. I really firmly believe that if the Trumps on attack weren't so loud, if we hadn't gotten so loud with our attacks on President Trump, if we actually had said nothing, the conservatives actually would have probably done a better job of regulating him and drawing him in. But because no we kept way. on amping up and amping up going, how do you not see this? That they continue to be in greater and greater denial, protecting their leader, their symbolic leader from any kind of attack. And that's why they were in such great denial. So yeah. we can't change them, all we can do is change ourselves. So Peter, I'm gonna try to get the agreement at the end here. but. But I gotta disagree with that last part too. I mean, I was agreeing with you all the way until you got to maybe not so loud with Trump. And, and the reason is it, bad faith actors put you in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. They mm -hmm. spread lies, misinformation, attack you. And then if you don't attack back and you don't engage, people believe them because there, nobody ever said the opposite, right? And so that you people assume, well, they must be right because the other side didn't even say anything, right? If you engage and you attack back, oh well, now you're attacking me and I hate you forever, and now I'm more dug into my position. So, and, and good faith actors don't put people in situations like that, bad faith actors do. And that's what Trump did and that's what yeah. the Republican Party did. But okay, last thing on the optimistic note. Maybe, Peter, what we could do is instead of focusing on the things where we disagree and need to fight, and I'm in the arena, and I'm gonna stay in the arena, I'm not gonna abandon the arena and let these monsters say the things that they say, okay? Because we gotta win over the middle, okay? So, and hence, clearly, I'm not agreeing with you on part of it, I just call them monsters, okay? But on the other hand, what we could do is begin to focus on the things we do agree on. And mm -hmm. the thing we agree on most of all is, Corruption. We think that 
the politics is broken and the media is broken. The only people who don't agree are the people in media and politics, okay? And they've partly driven the right wing crazy by constantly lying to them about wonderful, honorable politicians. And the right wing is right about that. And I'm happy to say they're right about that. And the left wing is right about that. So in a point that you make, Peter, that I think really resonates is if you're having troubles and you think the system is rigged, don't look down, look up, right? And they're trying to get us to fight one another. And when you focus on social mm -hmm. issues, that works spectacularly. But if you focus on economic issues, we might actually be able to unite against the folks that are causing, actually causing the trouble. Does that make sense? I, I couldn't agree with you more. So even though we've had some disagreements here, I have a great deal of respect for you. You're a great intellect and a fantastic journalist. I would just you know reiterate, attack ideas and not people. And also I would say this, when you look at the polling on issues, both Gallup and Pew does very rigorous, very, very apolitical polling on a regular basis on things like gun rights, abortion, even abortion, believe it or not, minimum wage, usually there's between 60 and 80% agreement on policy issues of all Americans. Where we get into trouble is when we start arguing about sides. <laughs> on issues we agree, it's when we start attacking each other and creating these different tribes that the fight gets so incredibly ferocious. And when we really retreat and kind of get insular into our tribes trying to protect ourselves. Attack ideas, not people. Yeah, look, I got a book coming up too called Justice is Coming. And the first chapter is all about exactly what you just said about the polls. Actually, the country is on the issues, massively progressive, especially on economic yeah. issues. Even the Republican voters are progressive, they just don't mm -hmm. know it. Because we split up into our tribes on social issues. And so, mm -hmm. look, Peter Montaya wrote the second civil war, really interesting read, really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter, really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much and thanks for getting in the ring with me and sparring some, I really enjoyed it. You're a great interviewer, thank you so much. Well, there's been a lot of drama about the January 6th commission. First, Nancy Pelosi preemptively said she's gonna put Republicans on as part of her selections, which is fairly unusual and she picked uh, Liz Cheney famously is one of them. Uh, and then Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the Republicans said, well, I'm mad about that. And then I'm gonna put people on, uh, which he has a right to do. And then he put on a couple of folks there that deny that uh, the that Joe Biden has won the election. They think Donald Trump has and they continue to lie about that. Uh, so that created drama. And then Pelosi came back and said, "Oh yeah, well, then I'm not going to put them on the commission because they're there to undermine it, not to help it and support it and be honest actors in it. Uh, and then Kevin McCarthy said that was unprecedented and took grave offense at it. And then apparently Pelosi called him a moron, although there's now some dispute over that, but certainly would have been within her rights to say that. And now the latest twist in that is today we find out Kevin McCarthy. Uh, joked around about uh, taking the gavel from Nancy Pelosi and hitting her with it. Uh, and as obviously caused some consternation, especially in light of the violence that happened in Congress on January 6th. Which leads us back to the commission. And uh, John Holtewanger is gonna join us, he's senior politics reporter uh, for Insider. Uh, John, welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. And, uh, and so first thing I wanna start with is this whole idea of Kevin McCarthy clutching his pearls saying, I can't believe Nancy Pelosi wouldn't accept uh, these Congress people that we put on the commission. 
who don't even think there was a problem on January 6th other than the fact that these poor political prisoners you know, weren't allowed to execute Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. Um, and um, I, you know, John, I don't know how to have that conversation because it's such an absurd point that previously in a sane world, we wouldn't have a conversation about, but now we have to have a debate over. And so, okay, how, how, how do you cover that? Do you have to, when you're writing for Insider, do you have to give legitimacy to McCarthy's absurd point about having those people on the commission? Well, I think we need to provide important context here, which is that McCarthy himself could be a material witness. He could potentially be subpoenaed in this investigation because he spoke to Trump on January 6th. So we have people here who were at least complicit in amplifying Trump's lies about the election involved in this process. McCarthy at the top of the list, as was Jim Jordan, one of the people he tried to recommend for this committee and Jim Banks. These are two people who objected to the election results. Uh, we've seen Jim Jordan in other uh, congressional hearings basically derail the proceedings with circus-like antics. So McCarthy essentially selected two people, at least two, that he knew Pelosi wouldn't stomach. Um, and it, you know, it was an easy way for him to go turn around and say, "Well, this is a completely partisan committee. Uh, you know, they're not trying to get down to the truth of things." When in fact, it was uh, the Republican Party the whole time that has uh, tried to block any real or substantive investigations into January 6. I mean, if you're if you're a Republican and a Trump loyalist and you support such an investigation, in a sense, you are uh, supporting something that could be a self-indictment um, based on how many Republicans were uh, very complicit in amplifying Trump's lies about the election. So in terms of covering this, I think that we have to provide that context. We have to note that Republicans have pushed against every single you know opportunity to really look into this deeply. They, the Senate Republicans locked an effort to establish an independent bipartisan commission, similar to what we saw with the 9-11 commission that would really try to get to the bottom of this. Now they turn around and complain that this House Select Committee, which was basically the alternative to a bipartisan commission is far too partisan, but they you know, prohibited or, or, or derailed an effort to actually establish an independent commission. It's hard to argue in favor of a bipartisan committee after you voted against it. <laughs> so, and and that's what happened with the Republican Party here, and those are facts. Um, I know most Republican voters don't care about facts anymore, but they still matter to the rest of us. Um, so now, uh, at the same time, though, John, you know, sometimes there are committees that are really necessary and are because of some sort of national emergency. So 9/11 Commission, and that had its issues too, but it didn't break down along Republican and Democratic lines because. That was that was an attack from outside the country against all of us, right? And then, even though it involved a Republican politician, the commissions that they put together after the Watergate scandal actually proposed some really great campaign finance reform proposals, etc. It was truly bipartisan. So there's that school of of commissions that are actually trying to get something done and are real. On the other hand, we have to be honest, there's a whole bunch of commissions that are nonsense and totally partisan. So nine different ones, I think, on Benghazi, it started to lose count. And totally fake one on the IRS. I mean, the Republicans have put together, they called in like diamond and silk during the Trump years 
to have an investigation of whether they were being discriminated against by the social media platforms. Again, as always, evidence free, facts free, etc. Right? And it's not that Democrats are beyond doing partisan investigations. They've done their fair share back in the day as well. So this one is a national security issue. The Capitol was breached. We're headed towards what we're worried about is more political violence. That was certainly a form of political violence. On the other hand, would the Democrats gain from the commission? Well, politically, they could gain from the commission. And and are the Republicans against it politically? Of course, they're the ones who did the January 6th, and they're the ones who helped, aided, and abetted in every way. So how in the world could you do a nonpartisan commission on this? It's a very good question. I mean, I mean, these are the types of questions that are coming up while the committee is contemplating who to subpoena. Um, this is unprecedented. They they might have to subpoena, you know, sitting members of Congress to come in and talk about an attack on Congress. Um, that is why this is so bizarre, and we're really in uncharted territory. Um, and and they they're not sure. Um, Adam Schiff, one of the members on the committee, who is you know uh, has deep uh, prosecutorial experience and was involved in the impe- uh, Trump's impeachment, etc. He said he's not quite sure if they can actually you know legally compel. Uh, GOP uh, members of Congress to uh, to come forward as witnesses if they refuse to comply with subpoenas. Um, so no matter what, you're right. There are just part of partisan elements to all of this, which is quite unfortunate because of how uh, unprecedented this event was. I mean, if you if you did sit and listen to the testimony of these four police officers last Tuesday during the first hearing on the committee, it was extraordinarily jarring. I mean, they were pelted with racial epithets. They were their lives were threatened. They were mercilessly beaten with their own weapons. Uh, and this is, you know, the the apparently or you know supposedly uh, Blue Lives Matter party. They're basically denying that this happened to these cops. Um, and, and meanwhile, you know, they're actually they seem to be winning the PR campaign. A poll came out today from Harvard Harris that showed a majority of Americans think that this committee is too partisan. So to your point, Republicans seem to be convincing Americans that. This committee is really not getting down to the truth because it is effectively democratically led, despite the fact that there are two Republicans sitting on the committee. Yeah, well, look, part of the problem is the media creating a fetish around bipartisanship. So, so what if it's not bipartisan? The Republicans have lost their minds. They're the ones who did January 6th in the first place. So, how, why? It's like saying we did a bipartisan commission to find out. Who the serial killer was, and we put Hannibal Lecter on the commission. Oh, you didn't put Hannibal Lecter on the commission? Nah, this is not bipartisan. A bipartisan would have been better, would it? Would it? Doesn't it kind of depend? But but John, like real quick on this though. But the media does. My whole life, they've been obsessed with bipartisanship, and and that's part of the problem. Like the bills, a much bigger problem. Like, is it bipartisan or is it not? Who cares? What's in the bill? Right? We don't. We don't ask what's in the bill. We ask if it's bipartisan, and and that's what's led to a, a who cares about facts, and, and and so we have to assure that the Republicans are going to go along, and and that's become counterproductive. I think you're right. I think both sizing this issue would be detrimental on the part of the media for providing Americans the truth about what's occurring here, and the truth is that the Republicans at the highest level who are uh, you know, trying to denigrate this committee, were the ones very close to Trump on and around January 6th in terms of his effort to overturn the election. And a lot of them actually, in fact, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, 
were decrying what happened. Kevin McCarthy included, he said that Trump bore responsibility for what happened. But they changed their tune within just a few weeks when Trump was facing impeachment. And these are things that I think as, as reporters, we do need to continue to call out. Just to remind folks that yes, Republicans have reasons to try to derail this committee because it's very embarrassing and uncomfortable for them. Based yeah. on what occurred on January 6th. I gotta ask you one more question, but by, I can't help but editorialize that. The, yeah, politicians are tremendous liars. Uh, part of the problem for the mainstream media is they take them at face value. And that's partly what's driven uh, the right wing nuts. They, they think, well, I know politicians aren't honest. So when media tells me they're honest, uh, I gotta look for a different answer. And that's led them to satanic child sex trafficking rings as a potential second answer and, and Trump and his con and all that stuff. No, politicians are not honest. They're, and, and that's why I mentioned Democrats did their fair share of partisan nonsense investigations too. So anyways, but the, but the question though, John is, um, what are they trying to find out with this commission? I mean, it's generically truth and it's compelling to see the police tell us that, etc. But are there one or two points of fact that we don't yet know that would make some difference and what difference that would be? I think that's a very fair question based on the fact that we can already connect a lot of dots based on what we know in terms of Trump's weeks long effort to overturn the election. The fact that he basically circled the date for January 6th and advertised a wild rally on Twitter. I mean, there are a lot of things about this that we know, like this is more or less what he hoped would occur. He was pressuring Mike Pence to try to overturn the election, even though Mike Pence didn't have any you know, authority to do so. Um, he was openly trying to pressure election officials in various states to overturn the election. We know that he was trying to pressure DOJ officials to proclaim that the election was corrupt. So I think what we're trying to get to the bottom of here is who internally uh, might have aided in that process? Uh, what kind of planning? were white nationalist groups doing in the lead up to January 6th? And were they actually coordinating with any sitting lawmakers? That would be very concerning. And also we're trying to figure out what happened in terms of the security failures. Law enforcement had real warnings about the potential for violence at the Capitol on January 6th. And they clearly were not prepared. Definitely not in the same way that we saw in terms of the show of force for various Black Lives Matter protests over the summer. So these are the type of things that they're trying to get to the bottom of. Yeah, that's an important question. I wanna know why there weren't more cops there and who told them to not follow regular order. Because regular order is if there's a tiny bit of threat to your life, just kill, kill, kill. I've seen it a thousand times in a thousand videos in the streets, right? But in this case, no, 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 let them kick your ass and run over you. Why, who, like why? Was there a no shoot order? Why was there a no shoot order? And so those are things I care about and most importantly to me, who ordered the National Guard in and when? Because it appears that the president did not order the National Guard in and full well knowing that that the lives of legislators were on the line. And that is important, that is very important. And again, I know that Republicans know, just don't care about facts anymore. And they'll deny it, it doesn't matter. You could have every single person say it that was there, they still will deny it. But it for the rest of us, the truth matters. And we got, and if the vice president ordered the National Guard in to stave off his own execution as part of the, the issue there. It's also relevant that we had a president that was so mentally deranged that the military would not listen to him. And that's an interesting 
point two, and I'd love to see if they figure that out. All right, John, we're way over time, but thank you for joining us on this, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.